Welcome, everybody. It's interesting that um, the, the word that was shared in communion had something to do with trials, something to do with trials. And sometimes as, a, as preachers, we get words from God that don't necessarily make a lot of sense to us when we think, on, at least in our minds. And I had a word uh, this morning regarding trials as well. And in some ways, it was a little bit off the, the, the stream of what we've been talking about for the, past few, uh, for the past few weeks. But it kept on coming. And I, I spent a lot of time sort of, you know, asking the Lord, are you sure? Are you sure? And uh, today during communion, I was very much uh, comforted that at least someone else in this room seemed to be getting the same kind of theme. I'd like you to... Um, Turn with me to James chapter 1, and then later on we'll move to another passage of Scripture where we will spend more time. Uh, the, the book of James, and we'll read it from verse 1, from James. I'm reading from the NASB. Uh, Born servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials or testings knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Um, some people, uh, some, some translators translate it as long-suffering. Uh, here it's endurance. If you don't like the word long-suffering, you may prefer endurance. Like endurance sports and endurance training. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, to those of, you, of us who feel that part of your uh, testing on trials are the fact that you don't have in anything, or you are lacking, um, it's very interesting that James is saying that endurance, when it has its perfect uh, result, will cause us to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's almost as if endurance is a key to not having any lack. Yeah? It's, it's interesting. The word hupomene uh, is perhaps best uh, explained this way. Hupomene is that quality that is in a person that resists discouragement. It's not just suffering long and just kind of coping with it. It has to do with an up, upbeat, upthrust of spirit and strength that causes us to not succumb to discouragement, not succumb to uh, pressure. Yeah? Kupomene. It actually has a very, very much more active thing. It's not something that we can produce ourselves, but the God gives to us. Yeah, He's saying that let the, let, let the trials, the testing of our faith, produce hupomene, this thing inside us that rises up. And it isn't just kind of a passive kind of uh, um, uh, succumbing to hard things in such a way that we are browbeaten by these things, but actually it is something of a God thing that 
rises up in us. Yeah? And what God is wanting to do through these testings, as Scott was mentioning, is to actually cause that cupomene, which will bring us to a place in which we lack nothing. Isn't that amazing? Cupomene, cupomene. It's great, huh? And so what James is talking about is, is these testings and these trials. Today I feel that um, uh, the Lord may want to be speaking to each one of us regarding a trying time that you may be going through. And uh, before we go into it, let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God to speak to us. Lord, we welcome your presence. We thank you, Lord, that hupomene is not something that we can conjure up for ourselves or to try to have, but something that you've given to us by grace, by the Spirit of God. And we thank you, Lord, that in you can give us this. Actually, you have already given us of this Spirit in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we receive it right now. We receive it into ourselves. This Spirit that allows us to be complete, perfect, entire, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. We ask you, Lord, even now that you would do that work, that instead of a feeling of emptiness, we will experience a feeling of fullness. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. It happens to be that um, after the resurrection, the next season or in the next uh, uh, calendar holiday, so to speak, is the day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. And in, if, you, if you believe that the, 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 the Lord has a certain wisdom in, in sequencing days and weeks and seasons over the calendar year, according to a, thing that, a certain thing that God is, Holy Spirit is doing, I would hazard a guess that we can look forward to, after the resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord did it in that way. It's funny how he, the Holy Spirit gave his, gave his Spirit on a calendar event that had been celebrated in the Old Testament. He didn't need to pour out the Spirit on that day. Just as the crucifixion did not need to happen on the day of Passover. It's funny how New Testament, important events in the New Testament, followed the calendar that was celebrated in the Old Testament. It's funny that it happens because the Holy Spirit did not need to come on the day of Pentecost, but He did. The day of Pentecost, the festival of Shavuot, was a, uh, the day in which they celebrated the, the, the harvest, the, the, the first fruits. Yeah, the first fruits. So there's something about the calendar uh, uh, in the Christian calendar that is meaningful and uh, which perhaps us evangelicals or those of us who come from low church backgrounds don't really pay attention to, yeah? which, which, which the Catholics and the Orthodox and other mainline denominations, the Anglicans, have actually paid attention to. The attention is to the fact that God sequences celebration, celebrative events, seasonal events, according to a certain logic. We are not bound by it, but there is something about it that is, uh, that is uh, important. And I have a feeling that God 
is preparing our church for an outpouring of the Spirit and harvest. And how he does that is through trials. Let's have a look at this. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 14. And it's almost as if this whole pericope or this whole uh, incident that we have is bracketed by two things that have to do with the Holy Spirit. Yeah? This is about the temptation of Jesus where he was driven into the wilderness. There's a bracket there. Here's the first part of the bracket. Okay, verse 1. Luke chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit after he'd been baptized, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. Yeah? Okay. He's full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned after the temptation to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, or in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. It's almost as if this, in this bracket, Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit after, after, after his baptism or during his baptism. And then you have the temptation in the wilderness. And at the end of the temptation, what, it had, what happened was that Jesus went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. I would put it to you that this whole temptation released the power of God through Jesus, into Jesus, in a new way. And so temptations and, and, and trials can often be the ways in which God releases His power through us. I have a sense that some of us are going through this kind of wilderness experience for the time being. And you're wondering, why is it like that? I'm still getting so attacked by the devil and, I, and it's just this miserable. The things that I want, I don't get. And the things that I, I don't want, I get exactly. Let's have a look at it, okay? We'll read from verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Okay, so he was led by, around by the, by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Can you imagine what it's like being in the wilderness? You're going nowhere, actually. You're being led around by the Holy Spirit from seeing sand to sand to sand to sand to, sand to bushes and to weeds and nothing, like, nothing, nothing really edifying. But you're going through a period in which you're just going through, led around in, in the wilderness. But it's the Holy Spirit that is actually doing it. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So for that whole time, he's uh, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all these, this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, 
so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This is from Psalm 91, of course. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. So he didn't leave him forever, but he was waiting for an opportune time. But he had been defeated already in the wilderness. And verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in the synagogues and was praised by all. It's almost as a, a release of God's power that quantumly brought him to another sort of level of ministry um, in, his, in his life. It's, it's, it's amazing. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't say he was, he was filled with the power of God. I'm sure it's the same thing. But there's a way in which Luke is wanting to say there's something distinct about what happened after the temptation. Yeah, after the temptation. And I, and I believe that some of us may be experiencing some of these elements of temptation or of trial that Jesus was experiencing. He had carried all the trials that you and I will experience in our whole lifetime upon himself. He carried it upon himself. There is no one, not one trial that you and I will experience, not one temptation that you will experience that he has not already overcome and, and defeated for you and me. Praise God for that, yeah? This is the first one uh, we shall talk about. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus said to answer him, and it, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. You can make, you're you going to see that. The devil came to Jesus after he fasted. Not during the fast with this temptation. It was after his fasted. So Jesus had fasted for 40 days already. The fast was over. Yeah, the fast was over. But he was very, very hungry. And the devil comes to Jesus and he says, You see these stones? I know you're hungry. I know you're hungry. The, the, the thing you really want most is the comfort of the bread. You know what? These are just stones. I bet you wish these stones were bread. You have a great need. You need the comfort of bread for your stomach, for your, for your, your well-being. But you know what you have? Stones. What are you going to do with these stones? Can you eat them? No, you can't. What you need is not stones. Why has God given you stones? He should have given you bread. You have what you don't want, and you don't have what you need. That you got stones instead of bread. And sometimes that happens to us, where we need a certain kind of comfort. We have a certain need that we have. And we wish that God will meet our, that need that we have. And sometimes we have found that the person that has come by your side is the wrong person. Have you found that? You go through a hard time and you wish someone more pastoral or somebody that's more, that understands you better will come near you. Instead of that, you got somebody who's not even safe. 
Have you experienced that? You know what that does? When you, when you feel it terribly, the feeling of the wrong stone, the wrong person is worse. Have you found times when you, you actually needed comfort? You need somebody who understands you. And actually, what you get is somebody who doesn't understand you. Yeah? You prayed for something and you want it more than anything else. And what you get is just the opposite of that thing that you prayed for. I just feel that sometimes in our Christian life, we do experience times in which we experience this kind of thing, in which what God gave you seems to be a stone and not, a, not bread. After all, it is in the same book of Luke that Jesus said, your father will not give you a stone when you ask for bread. He will not give you a snake when you ask for an egg or something. Yeah? Depending on which passage you're actually reading. How, how we actually come to places in which during the times when we feel weakest, what comes to you is not comforting at all. It doesn't meet your need. And you find that in the midst of all that, you're just having to just stand there in the wilderness and look at that stone and say, what? Yeah? And when, what Jesus said is, is this is, is key. And when, when, we, when we go through such things, it's just, you're not going to live by that comfort alone. There'll be times in which you'll get it. But there are times in which you're going to be directed to something better than bread. I'm going to give you something that's better than bread. How about that? And I tell you something, our flesh wants something of bread all the time. It's not necessarily wrong. It's just that during such times, God is actually going to release His power upon you. But He's going to take you and I deeper than the actual phys- superficial comfort that we get from physical bread, it'll come from something else. It's actually a time in which God is actually taking you and I deeper, deeper below the bread, deeper below the, our, our, our superficial desire to be satisfied or to be met by what we think we need. I found many times in which the comfort that I thought I should get didn't come. Didn't come. Sometimes you just need a friend, a shoulder to cry on or something, and it doesn't, it's not there. You just fa- feel this bony thing there, digs into your face, and it's not there. And the, and the law, it's not because the Lord doesn't love you or, or it's not because you haven't prayed for it. It's because of the fact that God is saying, I have something better for you. And sometimes fasting is like that. Fasting is, is, is sometimes like this, where fasting brings you to a place where you feel your, ne- your need to be satisfied by something. And in fasting, you're saying, I don't want bread to, fa- to, to satisfy me. I want you, Lord, to satisfy me. If it's really true that you can satisfy me with everything, not just by giving what my flesh wants, you can satisfy me when I don't get what my flesh wants, 
You give me that something better. You give me the bread of heaven. You give me something more than that. Because if I get that more, that thing that's more, I will release, you will release anointing upon me. If I get the bread, I will be satisfied with bread. Nothing wrong with that, but I won't get the anointing. Now, what God is wanting to do is to put power in us. He's given us His Holy Spirit. His Spirit is there. But He wants to manifest that power. But the Holy Spirit and all His power, all His wisdom is there. It's embedded in there. But it is a mystery. It is such a mystery that doesn't come just by reading it off the, whole, off the, off the surface. It comes when we call unto God and deeper parts of us call unto God more. So I find that in fasting, when, when that happens, when I'm really hungry, the first thing I want to do is to ha- satisfy my, my hunger. I just want to go to, to the fridge. It is very easy to go to the fridge. And it would not be a sin to go to the fridge, right? But my hunger de- de- reveals to me that there is something that I, I can get, something more. That if it is true that God can satisfy me with something more than bread, I wonder what that thing is. I wonder what, what that powerful thing is that would not only make me not hungry, but will also make me empowered by His Holy Spirit. I want that. Does that make sense? Fasting does that, see? What fasting does is that it causes us to come to a place where we, are, we feel weak, we feel needy, we feel that. And the first thing is to reach out to that thing that we, 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 we will normally use to satisfy our need. And what God says is this, you're fasting because you want more. You're not fasting because you want bread. Because if you want bread, you won't be fasting. Correct? Why fast? Forget about fasting. Why put yourself through all this this misery? You're not fasting because you think you can twist my hand just by saying, see, Lord, Lord, I'm I'm, I'm suffering, Lord, you better do this, like some manipulative child. That's not fasting. Fasting is is not to say, Lord, see see how serious I am with you. God doesn't need all that. He's not moved by that, actually. Fasting is to bring us to that place of vulnerability in which we know what will fit our, 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 our needs. We know that. And that thing is not sinful. But fasting is saying, I sense there is more that God has for me which will not only satisfy or assuage my, 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 my thirst or my, my hunger, but it will give me something and that is the reason why I'm fasting. It's that something, that other thing that I want. Amen? So when Jesus was there, the first thing that the devil was doing was to actually say, you know what, you finish your fast, you don't need to fast anymore. You just, you can turn your, 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 the stones into bread. And Jesus could. He could. He could just do it. You see, the thing about us as Christians is this. We pray to God sometimes because God will satisfy our needs. I need a girlfriend, so God, give me a girlfriend. Boom, there she is in all her glory and her beauty and all that. Yeah? I need money. God, give me money. There it is. Piles and piles and piles of $100 notes. There it is. Christians today have this idea that God is a God who answers prayer 
in the way that we want it. Right? God does this kind of thing. I mean, I mean, so God, He just meets our needs. And it's really true, He does that. But if you want the power of God, you're going to go some, somewhere else. You want something more. Not just the superficial things that we want. They're not, not all wrong, they're good. They actually, God gives them these things. Actually, James talks about the fact that you can be complete, wanting nothing. But what God does is that He puts a hunger so that the object of our desire changes from bread to not just bread. This thing of God that He has for us. Amen? I remember um, when I was in Malaysia, and uh, there was an opportunity for me to, to um, further my studies um, after several years in ministry. And I remember that um, I had always had the desire to go back to England where I had grown up to study. And, and there was a, an opportunity for me to go and study at the Oxford Centre um, se- several years ago. But at the same time, um, someone alerted me to the fact that there is a, this seminary called Fuller Seminary. And it's not no, as well known, but it is very good for mission studies. Yeah, very good evangelical uh, seminary. And of course, at that time, Peter, John Wimber was there, and Peter Wagner was there, and there was all these signs and wonders that were going on and all that. And I looked at this, and I remembered that Oxford was the place that I always wanted to go since I was a kid. And then Fuller also was, was offered. So I had these two offers. And all my contemporaries and all my seniors said, don't go to Oxford, don't go to Fuller. Go to Oxford. And I know that Oxford satisfied something in me. But the Lord said, you go fuller. You go fuller. Don't go to Oxford, go fuller. I thought, what? All my seniors, all those ones who were my kind of so-called loose, loosely mentoring me, I'm saying, it's fuller, commercialized, it's just, Whatever, too easy. Go here. At that moment, the Lord was putting his finger upon me and saying, I know why you want to go to Oxford. There's something there that makes you want to go to Oxford. That is not the best reason. It has a better name, it has a better whatever. And so I wrote back and I said, I decided to go to Fuller. If I didn't go to Fuller, we won't be in this church. I would not be married. I wouldn't have three daughters. I, d- I tell you, I'm so glad. But I realized that what God wanted to do in me was to actually humble me. I didn't realize how much of a snob, snob I was. I did not know how what a snob I was. And since then, actually before then, the Lord has been 
working on the snobbery. Hallelujah, Cindy. <laughs> He's still working on it. But there's something that satisfies. You got, you got what I'm saying? There's something that stones doesn't satisfy. Stones don't, don't succumb to your desires. And so Jesus says, he's, he's actually very, very balanced. He says, man does not live by bread alone. He didn't say you shouldn't eat bread. He says, you don't live on that. There are times in which God's saying, I'm going to do something in you, and you don't get necessarily what you want, but I have something better for you. Amen? The second thing um, that we have to contend with in trials and God gives us the grace to overcome, can be seen in verse uh, 5 onwards. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Wow. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. Legit. I'm the legit owner of it right now. It's been handed over to me by Adam and Eve. I'll give you all this domain and his glory for it has been handed over to me and I give you, give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Wow, these, these are amazing words. They're very powerful words. Only the devil can say that. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. What the devil was saying is this. There is glory in this world. There is glory in this world. There is huge, great things in this world. There are mighty things. There are awesome things in this world. There's tremendous success to be got. It's one thing to say, I don't like success, I don't care about success when you're not successful. But when you're highly successful, you're awesomely su su successful, the devil says, I give you these things, you know, I can give you all of it because it's in my hands. I can give it to you. I can give it to you right there. And as Christians, we have to understand that some of the things that we go after are things that the devil will give to you. He will actually give it to whoever he wants. I sometimes look at some people who get tremendous Riches, tremendous wealth, tremendous fame, tremendous recognition, tremendous um, um, respect and, uh, and honor. And, and I know that the devil has given it to them. Because the devil once has a choice. He chooses who should be in power in the powers of this earth. He chooses them. In the domains of the earth, the devil has great influence in choosing who will have the power. And you can make, make a deal with the devil. You may not even think he's the devil, but you can make a deal with yourself in which you compromise your heart to such an extent that you can confuse this with the, with the blessing of God. Especially with our current thinking in theological t t uh, in, in circles that the, think, the, 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 the glory of this world it belongs to God. It's true. But there's a way in which the devil has been given the stewardship of these things by Adam. Ultimately, God is in control. Ultimately, God is in control. 
But there's a way in which the immediate stewardship, like this stuff, I give you this. Not this. It's this. On this level. Okay. I'll give this to you. Give this to you. Okay. You have to be my man on that. Okay. You will compromise. You will be respected. You will be a great influencer. You will be well liked. Give that to you. We get really confused sometimes because there are Christians who, as in Acts, in Acts chapter, uh, chapter 4, grew in favor with those who are outside as well. There are ways in which God gives us favor in the world. Daniel had favor, Joseph had favor and all that. But that does not change the fact that there, in there, there is a temptation. And the temptation has to do with the fact that in the main, outside of God's intervention, the devil chooses his man or his woman or his person there. And you can be a great candidate for that. You can do it. It's within your power to do it. And I've, I kind of did an informal kind of uh, a survey of people who do great things, but who also sin very greatly. And it's amazing how when you look at people and very, who are very, very successful, they have this dual thing. They have great bravery. They have great vision. They have great ability. They have great gifting. They have great courage. But they can sin very, very greatly as well. Their sins are at, another, at a level that you cannot even imagine. Have you found that? They have that special chosenness. You know, they are powerful, they are smart, they are brilliant. They are also kind. They sometimes have great intentions for the world and all that. You know? But they also have this thing. I don't know whether it's genetic or is it a spiritual gene. It just makes them able to sin like in such a way that it blows your imagination. They're special kind of people. Especially anointed by the devil. The whole position there. Their morality is, is breathtakingly bold. And the devil can train you to do that. So you become more and more and more and more um, uh, impervious to sin and impervious to your conscience. And what Jesus was basically encountering was the devil saying, saying, okay, cut everybody out. Okay, Jesus, all the rest of these other people who are kings of this world, they're all small fry. It's just you and me now. You are better than all of them. You're more talented. You're more anointed. You're everything better than. You're better than Nebuchadnezzar. You're better than um, 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 Caesar. You're better than all these people. I can put you there. Because it's, it's it, within my, my grasp to be able to do that. You just need to bow down to me. You just submit to me. I just think that sometimes in our ambition to be used by God or in our ambition to be making our mark in this world, there will be times in which Jesus will bring you into focus 
as, as far as this is concerned, the fact that you're dealing now with something that is in the devil's hands and you will know it. You will know it. Or you will be frustrated because that position you wished you could get, you didn't get. That exposure, that fame, that power that you wish you got, it didn't come to you. And you feel frustrated with God because of the fact that someone who you could see was not as good as you got it. And the Lord saying, I love you. It's because I have greater things for you. And you can be less known. Your credentials may look not that good. But you are safe in my hands and I can do whatever I want with you. But you must overcome this. No hard feelings about it. No sour grapes about that position you wish you could get. You knew you were right for it and you deserved it better than the other person. No sour grapes about that. In fact, the sour grapes element must be completely out of you. I have to get it all out of you or else there will be still this little smidgen of that and that will bring you down and will cause you to be depressed at certain times. I can't use you. I need you to be there. I need you to be sterling. I need you to be pure so that at the, at the, at the, at the most inopportune moments, I can use you when you're not feeling good. I can't have you have be you most of the time very sincere and very genuine, but when you are weak, you lose that. I can't, can't do that because the devil knows when you are going to be weak. He knows when to touch, to touch you and I have to, I have to cleanse you and purify you too. I have to make you humble in that way. Because I have greater purposes for you. So if you are a person who missed an opportunity, or missed, a, missed a, a, a promotion, or you missed a, a something good, something really good, it's probably because God is saving you. And the thing about it is to not try to go for that thing, or, but to actually go deeper and say, God, so what is that thing that you have for me? What is that thing? It must be good. It must be really good. It says, I give you the treasures of darkness and riches in secret places. Amen? <laughs> One of the things that I've always had as an ambition since I was in high school was to be, to, uh, to be an academician. Yeah, to be an academician. My dad was... Uh, the dean of the Faculty of Education, University of Malaya. He also ha- had uh, worked in Singapore in the Teachers College as well. And he was always a very academic kind of thing. I think I take after him a little bit. And uh, one of the the things that he was hoping for me is that I will also get a PhD. He got his PhD in University of London, and we went to England twice because of of his studies. He got a distinction. He got a Ford Foundation Scholarship twice, got distinctions. And so he's the, my dad is much better than me. And the one thing I did not want to do is to disappoint him. I had my own ambitions, right? I had my own kind of thing. I definitely wanted to do a PhD. And I had been given some, some, scholarships to go and study in actually in America before I actually 
went into full-time ministry. And so one of the things that was a promise that um, I felt that the Lord had for me is that I will do my PhD before my dad passed away. So it seemed like it was going well. You know, I went to Fuller and, uh, and um, the Lord enabled me to do more classes than were allowed and also do well in, in them as well. So I, the more I studied, the more I was more I taken up by it. I was taken up by it. And you know, the world is really funny because the world values ad- academics and academic achievement greatly, especially in the nerd- nerdy little circle of friends that I have. <laughs> They're not the world. <laughs> it's always great to have people who says, huh, what's that? Oh, PhD? Oh, well. But among my friends, getting a PhD is like, PhD? PhD? <laughs> Especially in Malaysia. Especially over here in America, you can, be, you can buy PhDs, you know. It's a 99-cent store. <laughs> you, can, you can get very easily, you can get PhDs easily. And I was on track. I had professors telling me, you know what, finish this master's and we will have a place for you. And the Lord caused us to start the church. And VCF got started in the midst of my, my master's program because of the fact that <laughs> we had the church. My master's program slowed down from doing, you know, five courses in a summer to one course every one or two years. I had started my program in 1988, and I finished in 1997. When I went to collect my certificate during the graduation, people started clapping, and I know why they were clapping. Not because I'd done well, but because of the fact that finally I'd done it. And I found out that at a certain point, I will not be able to do my PhD. I would not be able to do that. Now, it may sound crazy to you, but for some people, getting a PhD is much more valuable than being a pastor of a church. A lot of PhDs, they do pastoral work for a few years so that they can go back, go and do PhD, so that they can say, I've got some practical experience. But the Lord spoke to me. He says, that is going to be your thing. You're going to pour out your life for my people. And I remember when I, when, when I was praying, the Lord gave me a vision of, um, of uh, the walls around the city completely in ruins. And he spoke to me and it was very clear. I want you to dedicate yourself to rebuilding these walls. And so I began to realize that I'm going to hit points in which it seems like the PhD is more honorable than serving God. And what God was telling me is this. When you come to those points, you have to know that the kingdoms of this world are nothing compared with my kingdom. But you must find it. You cannot just know it in your head. 
You must f- experience it. You must come face up to it. You must live in it. You must be geared up by it because I have more for you. I have more for my people. When I establish my kingdom, when my kingdom comes, it will make all the other kingdoms of this world like nothing. Amen? So I fix my eyes upon what God has for, us, for me. And actually, honestly, even if you gave me a free PhD, I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. So God has done a work in me that I can't, even if I tried, can't even want it. Amen? Then the last thing, the last temptation. He led him up to Jerusalem, verse 9, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Each time Jesus gave a scripture, yeah, you shall not live on bread alone. Second one was, yeah, You worship the Lord and only Him that you will you serve. And then the final thing is that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I think there's something that happens to us, and I won't spend too much time so that we can get into prayer. There is a way in which we put God to the test by two means. And, and, the, and the root of it has to do with the fact that the devil says, if you are really who you say you are, if you really, the devil is trying to tell you another version of who you are. The devil is wanting to give you his identity. That's why I'm very against anyone who says that our identity is in your histori- history, in your ethnicity, in your race, in your, in your, um, in your education, in your gender, in your Your identity lies not in that. It lies in who the Lord says you are. And you are a son and a daughter of the living God. And so what, what the devil wants to do is to say, I'm going to change, I'm going to twi- tweak it a bit. You are, yeah, 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 you're the, the son of the living God, but you are also this, you're also that. And you will latch on to that. And the devil tries to give, give, us, give, us, give us a certain insecurity about who, we, who God says we are. If you are really that, then you should have these signs following your life. Yeah, You must be special. You're special, right? You're special. How are you special? In what way are you special? So that's one way, right? Make you prove by doing something crazy, something stupid that is centered around you being more special than other people, right? So throw yourself off the, off, off, off the temple and the angel will, 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 will catch you. Now, Jesus could do it, actually. He could do it. And he didn't even need angels to catch him. He could just throw himself and then come up. Who needs angels, right? Just like he could, he could turn the, the stones into, into, um, into bread. No problem. He could have done it, but he didn't. So the devil says, says to him, I've got to find insecurity in you, Jesus, so that you don't know who you are. You're the son of God, right? But that's been a distant memory. I, you know what it's like in heaven. But look, you're 30 years old now. And you've been 
been cooped up in a carpenter's shop with only sawdust. No crowns, nothing. People look down on you. The Ro- Every time the Roman soldiers come around your family, your family cowers because they are so oppressive. So you are what? You are what? The darling of heaven? Is that what you are? And the devil tries to do that with us, you see. What he tries to do is to wear out our identity as a son or daughter of the living God. And after a while, you don't feel it, right? You don't feel it. And when you don't feel it, you get burnt out. And everything gets reduced to what science, observation, and all that tells you. But that's not the whole story. It's not untrue, but it's not the whole story. The whole story is encompassed by the fact that God has chosen you and calls you to be filled with His Spirit to be used by you. You're a son or daughter of the living God. Yeah? And the devil tries to, 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 to put that fire further and further away from you. And then what he tries to do is this. You really are born again? You lost your temper there. You sinned there. You forgot about this. You son of God. And then we wait, we wait for something special to happen to us. Something special in which God catches us. So that's one way in which we can tempt the Lord our God. We look for something special and we're not. And, and, and a lot of times Christians do that in, in the absence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, doing their devotions, being in prayer, being refreshed by Him, staying within the boundaries of what He wants and not going beyond what God has called us to exhaustion. You know? So that's one way, yeah? That's one way. We say, I don't know whether I'm a son of God or not or a daughter of God, so I need something special. I need something special. I need someone to call me out. I need to go to one of those meetings, right, in which someone will call out my name. And then I need that specialness. Or the other thing that causes us to tempt the Lord our God is we just live very carelessly. We don't bother about things, just ordinary things. We just don't bother about them. God will take care of me. That's fine. And by doing that, we tempt the Lord our God. And one, I want to put it to you that actually as God prepares us for Pentecost, He is actually causing you and me to be trained up, like uh, we heard in the communion, trained up so that we will move in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. I wonder whether God has been speaking to you in any one of these three things. I want to welcome the Holy Spirit on behalf of all of us. I want to invite you to just welcome Him. Welcome His Spirit. I want to pray especially for those who have been worn out, who have found that the vision of Jesus in you has been fading a bit. And you're hoping that something really special will happen. Or your Christianity has been one in which you're praying hard that something desirable will take place. And God is saying, I want, I've got something more for you, something better for you. So Lord, we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. 
you release your comfort right now that goes deeper. Every person who has been disappointed by the way things have turned out, I just want to invite you, just open your hands to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm not going to fight with you anymore. I'm not going to harbor disappointment in me. I give it to you. If it's really true that there's something more than bread that satisfies, I want you to come in. I will make space for you. I thank you that it's more than a choice of bread or stones. There's something more, Lord. I want that, Lord. I desire you. Stir up, Lord, the gift within me. Stir up your spirit within me, Lord. In Jesus' name, I welcome you. Bless your name. Just welcome him right now. If any man lacks, let him ask of God, whether it's wisdom or anything else. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. For these trials will bring about endurance. Not this wimpy, half-dead yearning for comfort, but this strong rising of the Spirit that resists discouragement. Therefore, with joy will you draw from the wells of salvation. And in that day, the Bible says, you will say, praise the Lord. So Lord, we welcome you. Come alive. Arise, O God. We bless your name. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.